What, what brings you joy? That's a very old sort of question. A friend of mine used to say it to me, and he was quite old back then when I knew him. Uh, it, seems like an, it sounds like a mature question. What brings you joy? Is it people? Uh, did, you, did you catch up with friends or family over the Christmas season, and did that bring you joy? Have you been outside and enjoyed the environment, the, the, the God's creation? Is it golf that gives you joy, or art, or craft, or sleeping in? What is it that brings you joy? puts uh, a warmth in your heart. You know, in Psalm 4, what we're going to look at tonight, in Psalm 4, verse 7, the psalmist asks God to fill my heart with joy. Isn't that a good prayer? To turn to God and say, God, fill my heart with joy. That's what I want. Joy is second in line in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and those things too. I'm, just, I'm testing you. But second in the list, it may not be a hierarchy. They might be all equal value, the fruits of the Spirit. But nonetheless, joy is second after love. And, and so it's God's hope, God's intention that we be filled with joy. That, that's, that's what he wants. Joy, you know, sandwiched on the other side of joy as the words love and peace. All these seem to have a, a similarity, don't they? A flavour to them. Happiness, I don't think I need to remind you, remind you. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. These are not synonyms. Happiness is an outside, uh, an outward emotion, external emotion that comes and goes. You, um, someone tells you a joke, you have a laugh, there's happiness and it, and it goes. If you're in pursuit of, of ongoing happiness, you'll exhaust yourself you'll fail and you'll probably uh, die of laughter, which is probably not a bad way to go. Uh, but happiness and is not the same as joy. Joy can exist even through troubling times. Uh, it, it can be there even when you're going through the darkest moments. Joy, it seems to me, is accompanied with hope or optimism. Now, I, I know probably like you, you went to Sunday school once and you were told that J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely mean... Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Is it just my Sunday school that taught that? No, everyone's okay. There's a few people. Thank you. Um, and that there's some goodness in that, isn't there? Uh, joy is not found in feeding you. Just get happiness for yourself all the time. No, joy is actually found in knowing Jesus. Put him first. Put other people before yourself, and you'll find um, yourself closer to contentment and godliness. This is a pretty good way of saying it. I, I've, I'm going to suggest another one, which, which is a bit clunkier. Uh, J-O-Y is justified optimism yourself. I know it's clunky. It doesn't really have a real ring to it. But just th think about it for a second. Uh, we'll start with O, which is optimism. Well, this is about knowing that despite where you are right now, there is light at the end of the tunnel. That are, that this is not going to last forever. Whatever you're per persevering through right now is not eternal. There is something better out there. If, the, if there was no optimism, if there was no hope, then we're in despair and there's no joy. So optimism seems like a good word, but justified optimism as opposed to just fake optimism. It's not something you're making up and, and hoping is there, but it's justified because it is grounded in truth. It has knowledge behind it. it is, and our joy in the Lord is that God is real. God is, God is creator, sustainer, king and sovereign and that he loves us and cares for us and demonstrated that by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. J 
justified optimism, and of course, the last word is yourself, because you can't just borrow somebody else's optimism. You can't borrow somebody else's joy. It has to be your optimism justified by your understanding of life. Well, you might love that or hate that. That's just by way of introduction. Um, I want to take us to Psalm 4 because there are things that rob us of our joy, uh, that want to steal it away from us. Anxiety, stress, trauma, uh, relationship breakdowns. There's all sorts of things that will try and attack us and remove joy from us. And I think Psalm 4 is uh, one of many places in the Bible where we can go to to ask, what do we do when we're feeling um, distressed and out of our depths? I don't want to give you a pat answer. That is a, a out-of-the-back-pocket answer that I'm feeling stressed. Well, there you go. Uh, pray to God about it. Um, but I am going to give you a pat answer, uh, which is pray, acknowledge, and trust. But let's, let me dive into Psalm 4 and, and take you through this. The first thing in your distress is to pray. Um, the right response to distress is prayer. Have a look at verse uh, 1 and 2. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So clearly the psalmist is praying to God. Uh, but look at, look at the quality or look at the content um, or the structure of his prayer. There's four things that I think uh, uh, um, jump out of us here. Um, it's urgency, directed, specific and dependent. His prayer is urgent. He says, answer me when I call to you. He wants God to pick up the phone. You know when you ring someone and it goes to, it goes to the ringtone, you just think, I need you to pick up the phone right now. I'm, doing, I'm dealing with something and I need to talk to you right now, so could you please answer? Um, the, David calls out to God and says, answer me. Answer me when I call to you. It's, he's urgent. This is something he needs to talk about right now. Uh, secondly, it's directed. He says, my righteous God. It's to a God who he knows. It's, he's known to him and he's personal to David. Um, he's directing his prayer urgently to the God who he knows he can trust and who is righteous to act and will do whatever is right. And so he has a, a personal relationship and a faith with God. And so his urgent prayer is directed not to the cosmos, not just to cry up to the to to, uh, to the environment and say, like, send, universe, send me something good for once. No, he's directing it to the God who knows him and who he knows. And thirdly, it's specific. He says, give me relief from my distress. And so it seems that he would name that distress. This, there's something I'm dealing with right now, uh, whether, it's, um, uh, whether he's, he's in pain, he's about to be in pain, whether he's lacking in money, whether he's feeling out of his zone, he's out of his depths, people are attacking him. I don't know what his circumstances are, but he is feeling distressed and he names it and gives it to God. He casts, as Paul says in the New Testament, he casts his anxiety on God, which is not to say, God, here's my random, vague anxiety, but it's to name that anxiety. What am I afraid of? Let me cast it to God and tell God about it, the God who I know and who will listen to me when I speak to him. And lastly, his prayer is dependent. He says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. In other words, I'm in your hands. You've heard where I'm at and what I'm in need of right now and I'm in your hands. I'm at your mercy. Contrary to David's approach, he looks at the world around him and sees that, that 
Other Israelites, other people of God, so-called people of God, are running around with worry and no answers. Verse 2, he says, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you people turn my glory into shame? The, when he says my glory, he's not talking about the glory of David, as if David is somehow glorified, but he's talking about God being David's glory. That in, verse, in, in Psalm 3, verse 3, we actually see that named there that the Lord is his glory, the one, his shield and his protector. When, when David looks for his greatest strength, he looks to God, who is his glory, not glorifying in himself, but glorifying in God. And he says to his fellow Israelites, how long will you turn the, the God of the universe, the sovereign God, into shame and not even speak to him and think that your answers are found elsewhere? that you're going to run around and he says, look in verse 2b, he says, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? When we believe in God and understand that he is a creator who wants to be known and who knows us and cares for us, then it's our right response to turn to him in prayer. Uh, and, I'm, and, we, and we've dived a little bit deeply into David's prayer so that we can know that I'm not just saying, look, pray about it. I'm saying, look, here's how to pray about it. Speak to God. Speak to him urgently and direct the things that are causing you distress towards him. Prayer is the right response to distress. It's not lies and fake news. That just keeps, gets us running around and around in circles. And friends, we know that our society is looking for answers to everything looking to answers for world peace, for climate change, for you name it, for local political problems and global political problems. But it's not looking to God for protection. And David says that that's a foolish, uh, that is a, a delusion and seeking after false gods. But prayer is the right response and prayer comes from knowing God and it takes us back to knowing God. So the second thing that in our distress, after we pray, we sit and we acknowledge. We know the God who is true. Truth is the, is the best remedy. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. This is what David is preaching to himself. No. In fact, the, the NIV begins that word with uh, no. But the original language begins with the word but. So instead of running around like a headless chook, you should know that the Lord is trustworthy. Stop and remember who God is. Um, first of all, know, understand, comprehend, be assured, think about it. What is the truth? Know that the Lord, uh, the, the named God, Yahweh, the personal name of God, he has set apart his faithful servants. So remember that when you stop and think about what God has done, we already know that God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners and to call us into a relationship with him. You know, John 1 verse 12, to all who believe and receive Jesus, they are given the right to become children of God. And so as children of God, how, how, how often, and I confess to you, how often do we go about life with little prayer, uh, not specific prayer, not urgent prayer, not directed prayer, not dependent prayer. But stop and know who is in control of the universe. God has already shown favour on us by sending Jesus into the world. David, even in his 
age knew that Israel was set apart by God, that God's face was already shining on that nation, and that David had been called apart to be the special king of Israel. And David had been promised that one day a forever king would sit on the throne. What is, it that, what is our anchor? What's our rock that we stand upon when we feel like everything is shaky? When the boat is rocking, where is our solid ground? Well, let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Timothy 2, 19. Here's wor- Paul's words. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Now, there's a tautology, isn't it? If you've got solid foundation, then it, by definition, I think, stands firm. But Paul wants to just make sure we understand that this solid foundation is a firm foundation. It stands and can't be moved. And then he adds to that, it's sealed with this inscription. So Paul anchors together words that, are, that really are to say, what I'm about to say is immovable and you can't change it. No matter how you feel or what circumstances you're in, doesn't change this truth. And here it is. The Lord knows those who are his. That's what Paul wants us to know is God's solid foundation and stands firm, sealed with, with uh, the inscription. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. You know, to turn away from wickedness is actually to acknowledge who God is, to live in a world where, where we know him and respond to him rather than a, girl, a world where we pretend like he doesn't or we act like he doesn't exist. Back in Psalm 4, verse 4, he says, Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So in our distress, we had to stop and acknowledge who God is. Take a breath. Speak to your heart and to your mind and remember. Ask yourself, is God still God? Yes, he is. Does God still care for me? And how do I know? Yes, he does, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Though I was a ratbag, rebellious person, Jesus died for me. Has, has Jesus paid for your sins? Yes. Have you acknowledged him? Have you turned to Christ for life? Do I still have the hope of eternal life? And is that enough to fill my heart with joy that is full and forever? Is that enough? Am I content with that, that God knows me, that God loves me? And that even no matter what circumstance I'm going through, God is with me. Does God love me and care for me? Friends, we need to remember grace. Uh, our prosperity or our health and wealth and goodness is not dependent on our works. It's dependent on God's grace, his mercy, his compassion, his love. Um, as I said, Mark, the, the reading of Mark 4 wasn't intended to be a uh, a tie in today's sermon to Psalm 4, but Mark 4 verse 7 talks about the thorns and the weeds that come in and strangle us and stop us from growing. And we take our eyes off God and onto the worries of this world and we, we fall away, we drift and we get strangled. But turn our hearts and minds, stop and acknowledge who God is and know the truth. And this is what will set us calm in this rocky world. And the third phase is to therefore trust. In your distress, trust God Verses five, uh, verses 5 to 7. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, many, Lord, are asking who will bring us prosperity. Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. 
the psalmist is moving to a place of trust and he wants Israel to trust God with him. Do what is right and trust the Lord. You see there, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. That is to set your path on the Lord's path. In the Old Testament, offering, offering the sacrifices literally meant offering the sacrifices, didn't it? But now that Jesus has paid, the sin, paid for our sin, he is the one true sacrifice that we, so that we never have to offer sacrifices again. The New Testament goes on to describe that our every day, our whole life is a living sacrifice to God. So every day, not in part, not just when you're in distress, but decide, make a decision that I am for the Lord and I want to live my day today for him. He is my hope. He is my only true and justified optimism. If, you've, if you're lying in your bed and thinking back on the day and ask yourself, have I done everything in my power to love others, to, do, to, to love Christ? Have I done that? If so, give thanks to God and, uh, and trust in the Lord. If not, if there's something that you've said or haven't said or done or haven't done, then repent. Turn to God in faith and know that he is faithful to forgive us through the blood of Christ. Others will panic because they ignore the truth. Verse 6, David says again, Many, Lord are asking, who will bring us prosperity? It's a futile question. You see, David's thinking, what, why are they asking this? Don't they know that God rescued us from Egypt? Don't they know that he places us in the promised land? Don't they know who this Yahweh is? Why are people asking the question, who will bring us prosperity? And yet, even though David's puzzled about it, he then, in the second half of verse 6, he prays for those fellow Israelites who are acting... Um, uh, Uh, wickedly or foolishly he says let the light of your face shine on us act lord is david's prayer because finally he says in verse 7 fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound you know that verse 7a is beautiful fill my heart with joy isn't that a good prayer fill my heart with joy but then there's this tricky line that's added to it when their grain and new wine abound. Um, I wrestled with that for quite a while until I've come to, the, to the, the resolution that David's heart will be filled with joy when he sees the, the sovereign God of the universe shining his face on Israel, uh, that the, literally the grain is growing, that the crops have, have come and, they can, and Israel can, can harvest once again. And for our modern interpretation for how that applies for us today i think it is to fill our heart with joy not just when i get what i want to give me comfort but to fill my heart with joy when i see god at work in people and the world around me so that even when i am going through a hard time a a disastrous time either big disaster or little disaster i can still have my heart filled with joy when i look out the window and i see on a trivial scale that the birds are out there flying, that the world is going on. It's fine. God is still God. He's still sovereign. Or on a deeper level, I can say, look, new people came to church today. In, in, on this very day, this morning's service, people wandered into church because, who have never been to church ever before. And they came in and they said, we want to check it out. We want to check out God. And that fills my heart with joy. I didn't ring them up and invite them. I did nothing to do that. But God is still at work in our day and age. 
You may be going through a, 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 a dark place in your life. You may remember just recently going through a dark place. You may have one coming up in 2024. We don't know what this year will bring us. But no matter what, rain, hail or shine, we will turn to God in prayer, um, urgently, directed, specific. We'll acknowledge who he is and we'll trust him and know that he is always at work. Uh, he, he, he does not stop. But friends, there's a fourth and final step uh, to responding to distress. The first is to pray. The second is to acknowledge God, remember the truth that we know about God, and then to trust him, to put our trust in him. But look at this last step, and that is, in your distress, sleep. Verse 8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. I don't know if you've ever considered what you look like when you're sleeping at night. Um, but you are in a very vulnerable position. You are, you are zoned out to the world and you've locked the front door because you don't want anyone to come in while you're sleeping. Uh, but there's, there's a certain amount of trust that we put in the Lord each night when we turn off the light and go to sleep. And for hopefully eight hours, you are knocked out, um, rejuvenating your body, at rest because you're a creature of God and you need it. And in, in those eight hours, God is still organising the world, organising the planet. Things are getting done without you so that you can wake up the next day and put your trust in the Lord. It may The, the, the thing that you went to sleep troubled over may still be there in the morning. But you've, you've, you've gone to the right source. You've turned to God in prayer You've remembered his faithfulness to you and you've decided, you've determined in your heart to trust him, to trust him and to move forward. There is an ultimate type of sleep that I think we need to remember just before I close or, or leave this psalm. There is the every, every night sleep that you need to get, but there is an eternal sleep that we really do end up entirely trusting in God. We close our eyes for the first time, uh, for the last time, and at that point, literally your soul is in God's hands. And what happens after that is at the mercy of God. But praise be to God that we have the assurance of, uh, of making it through that final day of judgment day before God, knowing that the price has been prayed at the cross, that that Jesus went through the wrath of God so that we never have to experience that. And so that one day we can lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make us dwell in eternal safety. Let me, let me pray. Lord, we thank you that because of your words uh, in the Bible, we know you better. Because you sent your son into the world, we know you uh, truthfully and earnestly. Lord, we thank you for the message of the cross that we can trust you for eternal life. Lord, in this life of, of distress and anxiety and, and all kinds of stresses, both shallow stresses and deep, dark times of our life, I pray, Lord, that you would, help, you would remind us that you are bigger than all of our fears, that you alone can walk with us through the darkest valleys. Lord, please help us to live not like those in this world who are ignorant, 
who don't know you. Help us, Lord, not to live like the Gentiles, but to live like those who have turned to the light, who have come to Christ and are now called your children. Father, please help us to remember this simple message, to pray, know, trust and sleep. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.